We're going to do something we don't do very often around here, and we're going to do a character study. Normally, I take a topic, and we break down that topic over a month. We've even a couple of times taken a book of the Bible and um, went through that book of the Bible, but it's very rarely that we take a character in the Bible. I think we've done it with Nehemiah. I think we've done it with David. But we break down that character, and we're going to be breaking down one of my favorite people in the Bible because he's one of the most relatable people in the Bible. Primarily, we'll be talking to the men over the next few weeks. But women, you're going to get a lot out of it, I promise. The principles of the Bible apply both ways. But I just think there's some key points in the middle of the message that we're going to hit on that do pertain to man. And I, and I believe over the next four weeks that if you allow God to do it, God's going to do something supernatural in your life. Because again, I tell you, there's not a more relatable person in the Bible than Samson. And I believe God is looking to raise up spiritual leaders, and that's where the story of Samson starts. There's been a shortage throughout history of godly people. There's been a shortage of us as humans turning our back on God, God coming along and raising up individuals to draw people back to him. I think one of the saddest verses in all the Bible is found in Ezekiel 22:30 and the Bible says I look for someone among them. The Israelites have turned their back on God and he said I look for someone among them to build up the wall to stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. I want you to think about the significance of what God's saying here. He's saying the people had turned their back on God to such an extent that God thought the only way he could get them to turn back to him was to destroy the land. Sound familiar? Okay. God's a loving God. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of 50,000th chances. He didn't want to destroy the land. So he said, I looked out among them and I just looked for someone. He doesn't say he looked for 100 people. It doesn't say he looked for 50 people. It doesn't say he looked for 10 people. He said, man, I'm, I'm keeping the standards about as low as I can keep them. And I'm just looking for someone to stand in the gap. He, he said, I'm just looking for someone to build the wall. He said, I'm just looking for someone, one damn person. That's the Gary Lamb version. One person. So I don't have to destroy the land. And he said, but I found no one. Not one. Not one person who was willing to do what needed to be done for God not to destroy the land. In modern terms, I believe God said, I was looking out across the land and I was just looking for somebody with integrity. 
I was looking for someone with courage. He, I, I just believe, he said, I'm looking out across the land and I'm looking for someone who will stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. He, he said, I'm looking for someone who will lay down their life as a Christ follower and carry out God's mission. He, he said, I'm looking for someone who will take spiritual truth and take a stand even when it's not popular. I believe we live in a day and time, 2023, and God says, I'm looking at it, I'm looking for someone, I'm looking for one man to stand in the gap. And I believe as God looks at it, I believe he's finding some people. I don't believe he's finding a lot of people, but I believe he's finding some people. But the concern becomes as the years go by and he continues to look, that those some people become none people. God has no choice but destroy the land. He said, I'm just looking for someone who wants to do what's right. I'm looking for someone who will be all out, sold out for the cause of Christ. Henry Valerie said to the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, I mean, he believed the greatest evangelist our country's ever known. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered to him. And D.L. Moody said, I will be that man. D.L. Moody said, if God is looking for men of integrity, if he's looking for men of honor, if he's looking for men of courage, if he's looking for men of faithfulness, I will be such a man. Dale Moody was just a man. He was not perfect, but he was surrendered to God, and God used him in mighty ways. Today we're launching a new series, and we're going to be looking at the life of Samson. If you, if you want to read ahead, you can go to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. It's a great story. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be hanging out in chapters 14, chapters 15, Chapter 16. Matter of fact, let's go back. We're actually going to start about chapter 13. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go 13 through 16, and I think it'd be awesome. Take some time every week and read those chapters. And I just want to give you an overview today. It's just an overview of Samson so you know who we're talking about. Now, I try to keep it real with you. I don't do BS very well. I don't sugarcoat it or get up and act like I have it all together like a lot of pastors. So in the interest of full disclosure, it's been a crazy week. I don't say this in an exaggerating way. Probably every day this week, I spent about 18 hours down here cleaning. And you'd come in the next day and you'd clean some more and you'd clean some more. And then yesterday, I spent about 18 hours down here putting on a vent. And last night, Someone came up to me and said, man, what series are we starting tomorrow? <laughs> and I couldn't remember. I said, I don't know, but it's going to be good. I said, what are you preaching on? And I was like, I was trying to get my mind to go back and think about the sermon I put together. I was like, I don't remember. They're like, no, seriously. I was like, oh, man, I don't remember. 
So I got on my Facebook page when they weren't around because I thought I had posted it on the Action Church page. And I was like, let me see what I'm preaching on. So I always announced we're starting a new series. And I had not posted it this week. I'd been so busy. So imagine my surprise when I got here this morning and remembered <laughs> what I was supposed to preach on today. It's just going to be an overview. I need to lay some foundation of who Samson is. Because that's the problem. We make judgments on people and we don't know who they are. Did I say that? We don't know the backstory, yet we judge the current story. I need to develop this foundation of this man, this strong man, this man that the Bible says physically was the strongest man probably God ever created. And then we're going to dive into the attitudes that make strong men weak. A lot of people know a little about Samson. If I was to ask you what you know about Samson, somebody would say, long hair. What else? Liked women. He was a man. Strong, long hair, strong, like women. That would be the three things. That would have been the three things I would have guessed everyone would have said. I don't know who said that over here, but they said it like, mm, he was strong. Like they had the hots for Samson or something over there. He was strong. But there's so much more to Samson than those things. His accomplishments were legendary. His accomplishments were legendary, but so were his mess-ups. And his mess-ups overshadow so many times his accomplishments in the views of people. What do you know about Samson? Women. You know about Samson? And the list of all the things. He cut his hair. His mess-ups overshadowed his accomplishments. Samson, more than any person in the Bible probably, was born with so much God-given potential. Yet again and again and again, he made decisions that self-destructed that potential. Anybody know anybody like that? I remember in high school, I won't say his name, but Crosstown High School, a rival high school, had this young man, played football. I know everyone says this, but this kid was good. At the time, he held all kinds of state records. He was the guy that was going to go to the next level. Of all the people I played against, and I, I played against in high school, I played against Garrison Hurst when I was in high school. I played against Mike Bobo when I was in high school. Of all those people, this kid was better than any of them, even Garrison Hurst. He hit harder. Now, let me make that very clear. Garrison Hurst, I don't know if you know who Garrison Hurst, he played for the Georgia Bulldogs, played for the San Francisco Bulldogs, was so good that in the backfield, John, if I'm lying, I'm dying, I played defensive end. I was number 88. And he would call out, 88, coming your way. 
You knew he was coming. And you couldn't stop him. I probably spent more time on my back in that game against Garrison Hurst any time in my life. But he wasn't as good as this kid. This kid didn't have to run you over because he was so fast you couldn't touch him. Never even made it to his senior year. Poor decisions. We all know those people that have so much potential, but they self-destruct. God had given him just like he had given us potential to carry out his will. And make no mistake about it today, God created you with potential. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make screw-ups. God created you and he shaped you and he formed you and he has a plan for your life to change the world. But so many of us self-destruct. So many of our mess-ups are not other people's faults, they're our faults. If I could summarize Samson's life in one sentence, it would simply be this. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Leave that up, Xander, please. He was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Incredible potential, but not enough discipline to capitalize on it. That's always angered me when it comes to people. I I hate seeing people that are so gifted in areas that I'm obviously not gifted in, that I have to work hard just to become average in, and yet they're gifted beyond measure and don't capitalize on it. He was a strong man with a dangerously weak will. A little backstory leading up to the time of Samson's birth, the Israelites, seems to be a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament, had been unfaithful to God. That's what's always funny to me when people talk about America. They're like, we're turning our back on God. People have been doing that since the beginning of time. I'm not saying that flip it like it's okay. The consequences are obvious because of it. The Israelites have been unfaithful to God. So God had put the Israelites under the rule of the Philistines. They were slaves to the Philistines, their enemies. For years and years, they had done this. Finally, God said, I feel you've learned your lesson. I'm going to raise up a man. And his name is going to be Samson. And he is going to start the process of delivering you from the bondage of the Philistines. All right, so picture this with me. The entire nation of Israel is under bondage to the Philistines. God says, enough suffering. I think you've got the clue. You know when you punish your kids and you finally think they get it? They get it for a short time. But he said, I'm gonna raise up a man named Samson and he's gonna begin the process. So God sends an angel that comes to a couple, a couple who had been unable to conceive, and at this time, what a blemish on the lady. That's the way the society looked at them. They couldn't have kids. There must be something wrong with her. And the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Samson. And God, from the very beginning of Samson's life, the Spirit of God began to stir in him. And God came upon Samson in supernatural ways. He gave him a physical strength that was unlike anything we've ever seen. And then the angel of the Lord told the family, you're going to raise Samson to live by 
what is known as the Nazarite vows. I'm going to explain that to you because it's very important for this entire series. You can go back to Numbers chapter 6. I'm not going to overload you with that. And you can see these and back up what I'm about to say. This was essentially the way a person who was a non-priest, an ordinary person as commoners, could make some vows to be set apart and used for the glory of God. So a non-priest, an average person like us, could say, man, I'm going to live by these vows. I am devoting myself to serving God wholly. And there was three vows that Samson was going to live by. These vows are so important because you're going to see later on he follows none of them and gets in a mess every time he doesn't follow. The first vow was, I will not get drunk. Action, none of you would have lived by the Nazarite vows. Let's just be honest. No Coronas, no martinis, no margaritas with your Mexican food. You never let your lips touch alcohol, so no getting drunk. It was a vow, Samson. The angel of the Lord said, he shall never have alcohol touch his lips. Don't forget that. The second thing was that Samson would never touch anything dead. Dead animal, dead person, dead tree, anything dead. Dead things were considered unclean. So Samson could not come along and touch these unclean things. The third thing was this. I don't know how this makes a lot of Southern Baptists feel, but the third thing was Samson was not allowed to get his hair cut. He had long hair. When I gave my life to Christ 20 years, that was a sign of your godliness. You got your hair cut. Man, it shouldn't like a woman. So Samson let his hair grow long. Say, how was his hairstyle? I don't know, but I guarantee you he didn't have a man bun. I promise you. He was a man. It's Samson. Probably a mullet. We had fights here last night, and I watched all the guys on Friday with crazy hair. And Saturday, they come out for four, and they're in braids, and they're locked down their face. I assume their hair can't get pulled or whatever. It looked very Viking-esque. Thinking about growing my hair out like that. And doing the same thing. I don't, my hair doesn't grow down long. It grows out in an afro. It's very impressive. So it's, I'm pondering that. These vows were important. They were just outward expressions of an inward decision. Kind of like baptism. Just an outward expression of an inward decision. Kind of like a wedding ring. It's an outward expression of an inward decision. So they make this commitment. And they make this commitment, and the Spirit of God comes on Samson. And the Spirit of God comes on Samson in such a physical way that by himself he kills a thousand Philistine men. When God's strength came upon him, there was a time that he took a lion and he literally ripped the lion apart. Think about that for a second, it's amazing. And yet with all this God-given potential and all this God-given strength, Samson gets in trouble again and again and again. And we're gonna watch over the next few weeks who here's this man that is so physically strong, gifted by God, who made vows to God. And yet he compromised his life over some stupid things. 
He compromised his life one time over a handful of honey. We're going to watch as his temper gets the best of him. And he kills 30 innocent men for a bet that he lost. We're going to watch again and again as he falls victim to pursuing the wrong kind of woman. Oh, Delilah. And his lust for women got him in trouble again and again. Samson is us. Your Delilah might not be a woman, but you got a Delilah. You might smoke your Delilah. You might drink your Delilah. You might snort your Delilah. Your Delilah might be pride, it might be anger, it might be ego, but you got a Delilah. You got that one thing in your life that continually draws you back in and continually gets you in trouble and trouble again. But we're not talking about Delilah today. We're just laying out some groundwork. He had so much potential for greatness, and yet again and again and again he squandered. Anybody know people like that? I know so many men, and they're, they're leaders. They're very aggressive at work. They're type A. They go, they take charge, they conquer. And yet they come home and they're just weak, passive men. Their hands off. They don't lead their family. They don't lead their kids. <laughs> they're committed in one place and uncommitted in another. Waste of potential. So while they're out building a great career, they're losing their family. At the end, the career goes and the family stays. Just throwing away potential. I know men that are committed to their finances, their careers, their hobbies. And yet there's other areas of their life they can't commit to. I know men who will study everything. They will research everything. Seven hours looking at everything. What kind is the best TV to buy? They'll go in depth and yet they can't even open their Bible for five minutes a day and read it. They can tell you who their favorite football team drafted 17 years ago. But haven't read their Bible in months. I gotta blow the dust off of it. Men with great potential that are falling in weak areas. And as you look at these men and these women, there's reoccurring themes in potential becoming just potential. I actually think the saddest word in all the world is the word potential. Because while you just have potential, that means you haven't lived up to what you could be. My wife and I bought a house two blocks up the road seven years ago, because it had potential. For five years, we poured into that house, rebuilt that house, and updated that house. We never got to where it became its full potential, but we showed the potential, and we were able to sell it for a lot of money, and we started looking for another house, and Christine said, I don't care where we go and what we do. She said, but do not walk me into a house and tell me it has potential. She goes, I've lived in potential for the last five years. She said, I'm not a complicated person. I don't ask for much. 
She said, but do not walk me into a house and use the word potential. We say potential kind of as a compliment when it's really not. Potential means you haven't lived up to what you could be. So many men out there, so many women out there full of potential, yet they fall to weakness. And it all goes back to attitude. And as you look at the life of Samson, there's three very specific attitudes. Three very specific attitudes that he dealt with that led to his downfall. Attitude number one was the attitude of lust. I want it. Now, here's the deal. We hear the word lust and automatically think sexual. You can lust for a lot of things. When a man, a woman sees something they desire, they lust after it. They say, I want it. I've got to have it. I'm going to get it, no matter what it costs. And what will happen is we will forget about the pattern of lust. We slip into this pattern, and when we want something, we forget all logic. I've got a buddy of mine who wanted a certain truck. He lusted after this truck. He wanted this truck so bad that when he went and bought this truck, logic went out the window. He bought a truck he could not afford. He paid more than the truck was worth, and he's been in bondage to that truck for years now. Is that truck? Yeah, bondage to the truck. Can't get rid of it. It'll ruin him. So upside down the truck, the lust took over. Maybe... The guy wants the woman, he wants to hit the quick fix, the sexual thrill. It, it could be they want the investment in their career or the money or to conquer something. And that lust could be something as simple as that new shiny boat. Anything wrong with the boat? No. Unless you're lusting after it. You can't afford it. And you go after it anyway. When we lust after something... We want what we want, and we forget about every step of logic to get it. And then we pursue our lust, not our potential. We pursue our lust with a reckless abandon. Look what it says. Samson went down to Timnai and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I, I don't know, this just tickles me. I have seen a Philistine woman. Now go get her from me as my wife. We laugh at that, don't we? Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But we're raising a generation of kids who want something, and we, they tell us to go get it, and we do it no matter what, and we go get it for them. They've never heard the word no. There's never been consequences for their actions. We're raising a generation that's never been told, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. No. Go get her for me. I saw it. I want it. She's good. Get her for me. Now, now notice what he did. You've got to notice some things here because you'll miss some very important things. He left his, his town of Zora. He traveled four miles to the next town. The next town was enemy territory. So he left his friends, went into enemy territory, and he saw a woman that was forbidden to him by God 
Because God said, you shall not intermarry with those who do not worship me. The Bible says, who shall not be the, we should not be unequally yoked. We've misconstrued that verse. It has nothing to do with color, skin, nationality, or anything. It just means a believer and an unbeliever should not be together. But Samson wanted her. And at that moment, he looks at her and forgets everything else, and he says, I want it. I don't care what my dad says. I don't care what my mom says. I don't care what's right, and I don't care what's wise, because I'm a man, and I have desires, and I want it. <laughs> well, that's an attitude that'll lead to self-destruction. The, the second one, and I've been down this road, boy, Woo! every one of these. The second one is not only lust, I want it. We then have entitlement. I deserve it. I, I deserve to have what I want, even if what I want is not what I need. Even if what I want is not what God wants for me. Not only do we want it, but then we justify in our mind that we deserve it. I work hard. I deserve it. What this guy told me when he bought this truck, makes about 30 grand a year and bought a $90,000 truck. I work hard, I deserve it. I looked at him and said, you do work hard. You can't afford it. But I deserve it. You don't deserve anything. You can't afford it. I've been slaving away, I deserve it. I put up with her, I, I mean, excuse me, I put up with him. I deserve it. And we're going to watch as Samson gets this attitude. And so he's going along one day, and a lion jumps out. Now, I need you to understand this. A lion jumps out. A freaking lion jumps out. That's how bad this dude is. The king of the jungle jumps out. Anybody experienced a lion outside, not, not at a zoo, but like in the wild? Anybody? Like a lion. Okay, I have not. But I was at Bowling Park one time. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. And I'm walking along, and there's someone walking this way. I'm talking about fast. I said, don't go that way. There's a mountain lion up there. I don't know if it's a mountain lion. I don't know what a mountain lion looks like. I didn't ever know figure out the difference between a mountain lion and a bobcat and all the different things. But I was intrigued. So I kept walking. And I look up on the hill, and there's this mountain lion or bobcat or whatever you want to call it. Nowhere near as big as a lion. And this thing was amazing. I mean, you could just see the muscles in its leg. He didn't, I, he might have saw me, I don't know. He, I didn't feel like he saw me because he didn't look at me or eat me. But he yawned, I guess. It was a yawn, I don't know. It might have been a mating call, I don't know what it was. And these teeth came down, and suddenly I realized that why the other person was walking the other way so fast 
And I flipped around and I walked that fast and got away for my seven seconds with the mountain lion. So imagine a real lion comes out. The lion comes out. Samson doesn't run from the lion. Samson grabs the lion, snaps its jaw. Kills the lion with his bare hands. That's a bad dude. Leaves it there. Don't miss this. Remember those vows? Can't touch anything undead. He goes away. Doesn't think about the lion. Then the Bible says sometime later, when he went back to marry her, marry who? Person he wasn't supposed to marry. Ain't it funny how one bad decision leads to another bad decision? Stacey, you understand that. You know what I mean? Just one bad decision leads to another bad decision. Sorry, I literally can only see this front row over here today, so they're getting picked on nonstop. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside. Don't miss that. That's a good phrase. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. The dead carcass. One of the vows he took. And then he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why? Because he knew they weren't supposed to touch dead things. Check that out. The Bible says he turned aside. Let me tell you when you're going to get in trouble. When you turn aside. I'm in the lobby yesterday. We're giving out some shirts to some workers and this very well-endowed young lady. Besides, right there in the lobby, she is going to take off her shirt and put on her tank top. Now, she was covered slightly. She's over here, and I'm looking out that window, and I, at the corner of my eye, it becomes clear to me what is going on. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My wife is on the front row. I'm a red-blooded male that's 47 years old. And my first instinct was to turn aside and look. They're boobs. They are what they are. We're men. Hell, she's a woman. She would have looked. She likes boobs more than me. Put that on Cherokee Connect. But guess what I did not do? I just kept looking straight. It must have been so obvious that I was looking straight that actually another woman commented and said, good job. Right? Nothing good comes from looking aside. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. It might have been fun for about two seconds. My look, the right time I would have looked to the right would have been right when Christine was walking in. No, we're looking straight forward. We ain't looking aside. He looked aside. He got in trouble. When we take our eyes off where we're supposed to be going is when we begin to lose our potential. He looked aside and saw the lion's carcass who has got this ripped up dead lion. The Bible says there was a swarm of bees in it and a swarm of honey, and he reached into this dead carcass and he scoops it out. Two things. First of all, that's nasty. Nasty. Men are nasty. There's a reason we're men. We're nasty. Dead carcass, bees all around, and I'm going to eat the honey. Well, that's nasty. 
I don't think a woman would do that. You don't believe men are nasty? Watch your husband next time he's trying to figure out if the underwear and the floor are clean or not. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And then, this is how nasty we are. If they smell bad, I'm going to flip them inside out and wear them anyway. You say, really? I'm just telling you, men are nasty. So two things from that outside, men are just nasty. Number one, men are nasty. Write that down at this point. Point number two, he wasn't supposed to touch dead things. They were unclean. The same God who gave him the power to rip that lion apart put him under a vow. And he broke that vow to please his temporary flesh and taste the honey. Think about that. He threw away his potential for a handful of honey Because he thought he was entitled to it. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know the problem, and I don't want to rehash it, but you know, and I've said this to many people, probably the scariest thing about when I lost it all, when I go back and I think about that time in my life when I lost it all, is I literally would justify myself that God was allowing me to do it. Look what I'm doing. I'm building the biggest church in the city. I'm baptizing more people than anybody in the city. I'm traveling all over the country and talking to church leaders, and I'm 33 years old. God knows my marriage is not good, and he's allowing me to How Stupid does that sound when you're out of it. Don't sound stupid when you're in it. And you're justifying your actions because you feel entitled to it, because you think you deserve it. Attitudes that will take strong men and make them weak. Lust, I want it. Entitlement, I deserve it. Pride. Pride. I can handle it. I got this. I can handle this. I'm strong. I can veer off course a little bit and still keep it together. Help me out. Lord's three vows. Don't cut your hair. Don't touch dead things. Don't get drunk. I got this. Mr. Strong, I can handle all things. Judges 14. Now his father went down to see the woman. Why'd the father go see the woman? Because Samson told him to get her for her. And there Samson held a great feast, as was customary for young men. It literally means, that word feast literally means party. It means, in its truest sense, an occasion 
for drinking. Samson was so prideful, he threw himself a keg party. That's what he did. Called my buddies, tapped the keg, I can handle it. Could he handle it? I don't know. But the point was he made a vow not to drink anymore. Or to never drink. But I, I can do it one time. It always kills me when alcoholics are clean for a little bit. I can get by with one drink. Never one drink. And it happens to strong men and strong women over and over and over and over and over again. God gives you great potential. He begins to do a work in you. He begins, begins to use you to bring glory to his name. And you think, I'm strong. I can handle this. It's always funny to me when people get on medicine and they've got maybe some imbalances, something going on, some emotional stuff, and they get on balances and they get zeroed in, they get right. And they think, man, I'm right, so I need to get off the medicine. And they get off the medicine and they go, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Because the medicine had them dialed in. They've got it. Pride. It's pride. It's ego. We don't like anybody to tell us what we can't do. I can handle it. Don't tell me that I can't eat the entire cheesecake. I can handle it. I got it. It's pride. Man, I want a drink. I just want that little pill. I want this. I want to do whatever. I deserve it. I can handle it. The next thing you know, the substance is handling them. The lust is handling them. The ego is handling them. The anger is handling them. We're drowning because we, we, we don't know how to handle our finances. We're prideful. We think we can do it. We're drowning in finances. I want to look. I want to have her stay. I, I deserve this. I deserve that. I'm strong. And we're really just prideful. We're really just ego-driven. Now, here's what you need to understand about these things. Lust, entitlement, pride. When we get to the last week, I'm going to give you, I, I hate people, but I'm going to give you the end of the story real quick. Week number four, here's what we're going to see Samson as. The strongest man who ever lived, who God's hand was upon from birth, we're going to see him with both his eyes gouged out. Nothing but dark socket. We're going to see the strongest man who ever lived with his hair cut. And chained to a big wheel, and chained to pillars, where 3,000 people could look upon him and mock him. Because his ego led to his weakness. You say, so you're telling me I'm going to have my eyes gouged out, Gary? No, I'm not telling you that, but here's what I am telling you. You might head on down the same path and in the next few years lose the person that you're married to. Because your ego got out of control. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You might get to the point in your life where because of how your ego controlled you that your children want nothing to do with you anymore. Your finances are no longer what they should be. You're alone and you're miserable in life. And that sounds a whole lot worse to me than having my eyes gouged out. Strong people becoming weak because of some attitudes, the attitude of lust, entitlement, and pride. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. So we've got to flip our minds, shift to this. Not that I want it, but number one, I want God. Not that I want it, I want God. 
I want what God wants for my life. I will not settle for anything less than what God wants for my life. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. I want God. I want his spirit through me. When people see me, I want them to see God. I want God. If God wants me to do this, that's what I want to do. If God wants me with that person, that's who I want to be with. If God wants me doing whatever it is I am, I'd rather be broke and want God than be the richest person in the world and have no God. I want God. Not that I want it. I want God. When people see me, I want them to say, man, I don't know that I like him, but I see God. want God. I don't want religion. Religion's a crutch. I want God. I don't want church. I want God. Not that I want it. I want God. Not that I deserve, oh, this one's going to be hard for some of you. Not that I deserve it. I got to have the mindset that really at the end of the day, I deserve death. What I deserve? I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. I'm not talking about a physical death, I'm talking about a spiritual death separated from God. I deserve to be separated from God because of my actions. An unholy thing cannot come in contact with a holy thing. Cannot happen. That's what I deserve. I just wish God was fair. No, you don't. No, you don't. Trust me. Thank God he's a God of grace. Thank God he's a God of love. But I have to realize and keep this mindset that I deserve death. I deserve separation from God. And when I realize that that's what I deserve, it makes me appreciate what God has given me so much. So how about this? Uh, Don't raise your hands. How many of you have screwed up so bad in your marriage you don't deserve to have your spouse still with you? That common sense wise, they would have left you. They should have left you. I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm being very serious. You've messed up so bad, they should have left you. But they didn't. It's funny how that changes your whole mindset. They stayed. They loved you through it. Doesn't mean it was easy. Might have been hard. You look at them in a different light. You appreciate them more. You value them more. Sometimes what's they'll say, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Sometimes you can't appreciate something till you really accept what you truly deserve. We deserve separation from God in a place called hell. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Holy smokes, how does that not get you excited? I don't deserve that, I deserve that. Death. Glad you got that new truck, you deserved it. You deserved a truck? Listen, I want a new truck, I'm getting a new truck soon. 
thinking about buying that truck to sit there on the road right now. Christine don't even know about it. We ain't even talked about it yet. The Lord has been leading me to buy that truck since yesterday. Bubba got the key right now. They came yesterday. They dropped that truck off. And then they came and picked it up because they, they thought they had it sold. I was sad when they drove it away. A tear came down the side of my face. Because I thought the Lord had brought me that truck. I thought I deserved that truck. I'd given up hope, and all of a sudden they come back with the truck. I said, what's the truck doing back? The guy decided he liked chrome better than the black wood. I said, well, the guy's an idiot, but the Lord wants me to have that truck. I don't even know how much that truck is. I know that it's way more than I can afford, and I'm not going to get that truck, but I want the truck because I think I deserve it. No, I really deserve that. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. By the grace of God... I even get up in the morning. We've got to change our mindset. How about this? We need to change our mindset. And I'm done. We're going to get out of here early. I can handle it. Oh, I want to cuss so bad right here. Bull. Hmm. No, I can't handle anything without God. Anything. Anything. I can't handle money without God. I cannot handle a big boobed woman taking her shirt off in the lobby of my church and her big boobs flopping around without God. You think that wasn't God telling me to look forward? It was God. Men, you better not leave me out here on an island all alone because you're sitting next to your wife today. Say amen. God, you think I deserve anything I have? I can't handle anything. I can't handle this building without God. Without God, I'd have this place. It'd be a strip club. I can't handle anything without God. I, I can't handle food without God. I'd eat everything around. I'd weigh 472 pounds without God. I can't handle anything without God. I, I can't get out of bed in the morning without doing something stupid without God. I said, what would you do stupid? I'd say something stupid to Christine. I don't know. Just something dumb. You got bad breath this morning. morning breath. I'd say something stupid, but God stops me from saying that. Do anything without God. Here's what you need to realize, and I'm not trying to be insulting to you. In the grand scheme of things, the most smartest person in this room, we're imbeciles. We can't handle anything. Anything. Especially us men. Did anybody see that study they did like in Europe recently? And they put, I'm making these numbers up, I can't remember. But they put like 10 girls in a little house. They were watching them on cameras to make sure they were safe. They were like 9 or 10 years old. And they watched them. And they put 10 boys in a house. And they watched them through the cameras, make sure no one got, like they had to cook their own food, do everything. And the little girls started nurturing each other and formed this community. 
And like within like two days, the boys are beating each other up and bullying each other and farting on each other and tearing the furniture up and like eating, like the little girls are trying to figure out how to eat healthy and the little boys are over there eating like cereal with their hands out of them. Like we're idiots, man. Like I, see, I can't even walk without God. Break my damn leg up here on this stage. I, oh God, I should not say this. I feel like men, like the penis is an antenna for idiocy. Like it just makes us idiots. I'm not even talking like sex. I'm just talking like, it's like an antenna for like, do stupid stuff. Hold my beer. Jump off the stage. You know what I mean? Like, it's just dumb stuff. Can't handle anything without God. Anything. I can't handle anything. I don't know about you, but I am not capable of anything godly or right without God. I've got to have that mindset. Keeps me from being prideful. Last night I had a huge event here. And as happens when you go to your friends and they're being successful, so many people came up to me telling me how great it was. Amazing. And if you're not careful, it's really easy to get prideful. It is. You start to walk a little different. You're like, man, it'd be great. But God has a way of humbling you. So for me, put on this great event, it's awesome. I go out to the car. Bubba says, let's go to Waffle House. I crank the car because I know it's late at night and there's not going to be a lot of people on the road. I justify that I can drive and watch Facebook at the same time. So I click on Facebook in the parking lot and the first post, Cherokee Connect. I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh. I went from Gary, it was great to, man, like there was things about me I didn't even know. Someone posted on there, what's happening at Action Church? It was like 200 comments. I just realized that I am from the pits of hell to a lot of people. I laughing so hard all the way. Like I found out stuff about me that was amazing. I am truly the world's most interesting man. You should go... They pulled it down. Like, it got so out of hand, they pulled it down. God's way of humbling you. (laughs) Without God, you say, I think God put that on there. I mean, I was was cocky last night. I got a couple kids smart. I'm 47 years old, fat, and ain't falling forever. I ready to fight like a 21-year-old out in the parking lot last night. That's how cocky I was feeling. And then I can read Facebook, and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm just an idiot. I, can hand, I can't handle anything without God. Ephesians 6.10 says this, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. We've got to change some attitudes. We've got to change some attitudes. We've got to go from I want it to I want God. I deserve it. Remind ourselves that we deserve it. I can handle it. No, I can't handle anything outside of God. I'm going to break it down over the next three weeks. Those attitudes are going to come back over and over and over. And I'm going to show you how the man that had the greatest potential ever destroyed his life 
through weakness. But we're going to end on a high note because the movie always has to end good. But I'm going to show you how God redeemed him in his last act and used him again. Let's pray.